Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Yeah, welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast. Uh, we've got uh, Brooklyn in the house here today, Mark Nathan from Zapari. Hi, Mark. How are you? Hey, Steve. Good to hear from you. Good to hear from you. You're you're sort of in the middle of the COVID-19 uh, things in New York. Uh, last time I remember talking to you, you were looking out your window of your apartment to an empty street. What's going on in Brooklyn these days? Yeah, it's about the same. Frankly, it, it hasn't changed much in the last uh, three or four weeks. And uh, yes, when we last chatted, you know, I, I my place here, I have a nice view from uh, my room, we had to sort of separate out the uh, apartment a little bit to create a little bit more space. And I got a desk in the bedroom, but I got a beautiful view over the city and I can see what's going on. It's not the same as being in the office and seeing everybody face to face, but I'm on video calls all day. And, and like you said, I can look out the window and I'm looking out right now and I, it's a little rainy. I, I don't see a soul, to be honest. Uh, so it's a little spooky, but... It is raining as well right now, so maybe yeah, people will come out. <laughs> can you see the bridges uh, in your view there? Williamsburg Bridge? or uh... Yeah, I can see the Brooklyn Bridge, Manhattan, the Williamsburg. I can see our office. And uh saw the Blue Angels and Thunderbirds fly by yesterday, which was a nice little uh, treat for everybody here um, and, and uh, respect for the healthcare workers. So, yeah, it's not too bad. We might cool. getting back to the office at some point, but... Uh, at least I have a few. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for the record, we're talking on April 30th, uh, 2020. So the city's been locked down for what, five weeks now? About right? Yeah. I think we moved to work from home right in the beginning on March 11th. So uh, it's been about six. Yep. We've done, I count it by our virtual town halls. We do a town hall every Friday and it's always been in person. And now we're doing it virtual. So I got the seventh one, I believe, coming up uh, this week. So, uh, it's been a while now. Well, nice. Um, yeah, we're 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 in the same shape. It, it, it feels I don't know. We're starting to feel like it's the new way to work, right? We're lucky we can work and we can work at our PCs. We don't have to. We don't have to be in the office. Although it's more it's more fun for everybody if we are. Well, I know Massachusetts getting you know hit fairly hard, you know, compared to a lot of the other states. So yeah, I know you guys must be going through similar times. Yeah, we're, we're, we're slowly catching up, at least on a per capita basis. So let's talk about you. Um, we got I know you started Zapari uh, a few years ago, um, but I wanted to sort of get a sense. I mean, the um, the act of starting a company, getting it going, and of course Zapari has been very successful, is is no uh, is no laughing matter. Um, I would argue most people don't know how hard it is before they do it, and then what when they're doing it, they um, they don't realize really how hard it is until they stop. But what was the motivation? What was the inspiration for you to get this company going? Well, you know, I've always had a bit of an entrepreneurial streak from very young. And, uh, you know, some of the places I worked at in the beginning of my career, uh, like Next Computer and, and, and Apple, which wasn't a startup, but, it, you know, had an entrepreneurial feel to what we were doing there. Um, I've always gravitated and I did do a startup in the beginning in the early 2000s but that didn't really take off and you know learned a bit from that and then I spent about 10 years on the payer side and 
what happened then is after being in the corporate world for 10 years uh, and really prior as well, uh, I thought I'd take a, a new challenge and go to a small company. And I, I worked for a small company in Brooklyn and we built um, three health plans for the ACA, one in New York, one in New Jersey, and one in Oregon. And we had 14 months to go live and I had to build out the technology for that. And uh, so brought a team together and we went live on the first day of the ACA. We had over 150,000 members on our platform. It was a member portal, a service center, a provider service, shopping, et cetera. And it was fun. I was working for a smaller company. We're getting a lot of work done, but the company I worked for didn't want to be in that business anymore. And uh, I thought, well, gee, it's a shame to uh, shut all of this down now that we built some amazing technology and assembled a, a great team. And, and so I said, there's got to be a way to spin this off. And it was at that point, it took about nine months. It was very challenging, but I met with a bunch of investors and eventually uh, I met uh, Dave Schwab from Vertical Venture Partners. And uh, uh, we partnered up and we founded Zapari in the summer of 2014. So the short way of saying that is I didn't really set out a plan to uh, build a startup, but it was an appealing opportunity and we took a unique opportunity and uh, we were able to shape it into uh, the founding of Zapari and then things started taking off from there. That's cool. That's cool. So what, what, uh, so let's get into that a little bit. What, what technologies did you have available? Well, let me just say this. One of the hardest things in business is to take a, a homegrown, you know, uh, business purpose uh, uh, technology and and create uh, generally available software out of it, right? Exactly. So, uh, right. So, so talk to me about that. What 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 did you guys build there, and, and how did you imagine? How did you manage to convert that over to 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 software that that anybody could run? Right. Yeah. So, I've been a technologist, really. You know my whole life. Uh, you know, I, I worked at NASA for a number of years. They paid for part of my undergrad and all my graduate work for robotic studies. And I've always been about building software and a little bit on the AI side. And actually at that at one company in the 2000, in 2000 that didn't really take off, I did learn a lot. I created uh, this semantic mapping, this technology. Uh, that company was in the real estate industry. They had a 11,000 pieces of information for every census block of which there's 220,000 census blocks. So they had a lot of data for a lot of different demographics. And we had to find a way to rapidly produce, take that data and turn it into meaningful information for realtors in that case. Um, I started building some technology back then, and then I used it at Guardian when I was there for 10 years. I let it a big customer experience program there. And I came up with a, a, a unique technique to sort of manage data and, and, and services and UI and not getting all technical on it. I, 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 I reapplied that when uh, I, I went to that last company. So we started with a greenfield of uh, just no code to begin with three new health insurance companies. We had to select a TPA. We had to define all their all their products and file them. But on the technology side, we had to select a TPA, and then we ended up building um, basically a, a service layer that would allow us to connect to this these TPAs 
for three different health insurance companies and have a single code base for their member portal, their service center, online shopping, provider search, et cetera. Uh, we use Angular technology in Python and we use Salesforce and, and Dynamics for the CRM. So right from the beginning, we built something that was very scalable and built for multiple payers at once. But that was pre-Zapari. And when we brought that to Zapari, you know, we had to start thinking about product market fit and how to really purpose this um, at scale. So, yeah. So let's go back to the technologies that you... So what were the applications that you brought over from... That you brought over? You mentioned some of them just, just now. Yeah. So when we started building three health plans, we built a, a, a sort of a, a multi-tiered system where uh, the payers uh, used a TPA for their claims adjudication, as well as uh, answering the calls in the call center. And then we built out all the middle layer to connect uh, the various TPAs, there's a couple involved, uh, to each of these three payers that we were building. And then uh, we use Python technology for all that. And then uh, on top of that, we built a front end for a member portal, so separate for each state uh, and each brand, New York, New Jersey, and Oregon. And then we built a service center where uh, when the members called in, uh, they could go, the member service reps could go through certain workflows and answer all those questions and store all the notes. We built a provider search, so a doctor search to see the provider directory. Uh, and then we built online shopping. I think we were we, we went live with online shopping on the very first day of the ACA. In fact, one of our employees was a, or one of our staff members was a consultant and bought insurance, was the first person to buy uh, health insurance on our system for uh, one of the plans we supported in New Jersey. And so we had that full online shopping from day one of the ACA. Enter your demographics, select a plan, go to shopping cart, um, enter your you know, personal information, and then send over the enrollment file to the TPA. So those were some of the early technologies that we had. And then uh, once we became Zapari, we started creating some of the unique CX technologies. Yeah, so what? talk about the CX technologies too. What have you built since? This is excellent. Yeah, so I always had this vision that the only way to manage massive amounts of, of data and algorithms and different views, web apps, or all the way back to green screens or command lines. The only way to manage all that is to sort of categorize that at scale and build what I call semantic mapping. Without going into the technical boring details of all that, that became the underpinning of what we call our CX engine. And our CX engine is at the center of our platform. We have 20 products on our platform if you go across market segments. And the CX engine is one CX engine that binds into uh, the existing health plan. So the concept there was at Guardian, uh, when I led technology strategy and various programs there, we had over 150 systems just for group insurance. So you can't come in and, and displace 10 a year for 15 years and replace everything. You've got to live with the investments in IT that these health plans have already made. And I've always thought it's kind of naive to think you're just going to come in and replace everything at once. So the CX engine allows us to define APIs that are well-defined into the payer so that 
we can uh, access all of their different systems. So, uh, of course, we do a lot of integrations with Health Edge. So, accessing that information, right, neutral to our platform, and providing information like claims to our member portal, to our member service center, to our provider portal, etc. So, that CX engine is the unique technology that binds everything into our platform so that if you are using member portal, mobile app, member service center, provider portal, you wouldn't have to make four different calls to the backend system to get a claim. It's all going through one centralized CX engine that integrates everything together. We do the same concept with our partners. So, you know, an adapter, a connector that connects to health edge so that we don't necessarily have to go through the payer. So that's what our CX engine does. It allows us to connect to dozens and dozens of different payers and systems in a way that's predefined and you know speeds up development rapidly. And and do you store the data or are you just calling it, using it, and tossing it? What do you do? We have the ability to run batch or real time, but everything's real time at this point. That's cool. In the last three years, I don't think we've done anything other than real time. So let's talk about how you yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, Mark. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, no. So we don't. We don't use. Generally, we don't store the data. It's it's all at real time. So you just pull it in. You deliver it to whoever wants to access it. Exactly. And whatever you know. Generally, what you're focused on, it looks like, is connection points uh, that can span across either internally inside the organization for like a call center rep, uh, or externally for a provider or a member. Um, and I'm assuming maybe a broker. I don't know. That's right. So when you got, so how did you get the business going? I mean, you found a venture partner right away as a former venture capitalist. I know how hard that is. Venture capitalists are fun people to hang around with, right? Uh, Yeah, of course. (laughs) I met a lot of them. You know what? Generally, very smart people. I really actually do enjoy a lot of interesting stories. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but it sounds like you found a a solid partner right away. You know, how did you go about building the company, uh, you know, how, did, how big was it when you got it going? Mm-hmm. Uh, did you did you feel like you were under uh, capital constraints when you started it? Did you get yourself to a point where you were generating cash pretty quickly? Tell me about the early days. The, then the early days are not that long ago, right? Six years yeah, ago. Yeah, Sounds like six years ago. So, I mean, we were lucky, comparatively speaking, because we had contracts when we built the company when we started the company. So it was a pretty unique situation. Now, this really funded our product development. What I heard very early on, and I remember, and it's, it's almost funny now when I think about it, I'd meet these very early stage investors and they would say, well, you need a product market fit. And back then I was thinking, that sounds fancy, but what the heck is a product market fit? And uh, we did that. We we met with 200 payers for the first uh, 14 months, and we just listened. We just got as many phone calls with as many executives as payers as we can, and we just started listening. And, and we consistently heard you know, digital strategy, and then we heard CX and customer experience and CX, CX. So all this customer experience stuff, and that's what really led us to identify that there was a real gap uh, and a lack of sort of continuum across experiences uh, for uh, the members, the providers, the uh, brokers, and the employers. So that's what led us to sort of what we call our product wheel. 
And um, where I was originally really focused is on our most unique product, which is our CX engagement hub, which we can get into if we want to at some point, uh, which drives next best action. But I quickly realized that nobody's going to just buy uh, this abstract, unique tool from a new company if we couldn't prove that it worked. So we actually ended up building out a, a, a member portal and a service center built on our original member portal and service center, but a new one that really highlighted how we could drive next best action to each of the endpoints to help consumers make the right decisions about you know how to improve their health and reduce their costs. So that's we spent about fourteen months really on you know thinking about what was a gap in a marketplace and just listening and testing out the waters, and, and then we went to market. Uh, in January 2016 with those products. Yeah, yeah. I th when I think of product market fit, you know, sometimes I think, you know, value proposition, mm -hmm. you know, does a, what's what's the what's the delighter features where somebody's like, this gives me a value proposition I can't find elsewhere. And 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 that that a little bit a little bit of that sort of correlates back to product market fit. And when you I want to understand what next best action is. I want to get there, but but tell me when you when you came to that product market fit or value proposition, what 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 is it like in the shortest form? What is it that because I know you're doing well, sure, adding customers. What, why are they buying the product? What's turning them on to the product? So you know the litmus test that I always use is to understand the consumer at every touch point. So. For instance, we have no aspirations to be a core admin system or a product lifecycle manager. That's why I like you, by the way. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> we, you know, it doesn't, it's not our expertise. It's not what we do. What we do is we want to understand the consumer wherever they interact with the health plan. So that's always sort of the litmus test behind, uh, how we kind of built out our products. And that's what led us to, well, you got a member portal, which is not very dynamic in the marketplace. You know, it, it, it should be, gee, you know, coming from all these high-tech companies, I'm thinking member portals should be very dynamic, should be able to push messages out really quick. And you got a mobile app, iOS and Android, and those should be based on the same core services, technology, core technology underneath is just a different view. And then a member service center is really the same thing. It's a member portal or mobile app, but it's not the member logged in. It's the member service rep logged in. And instead of just having the limited functions of the member portal, the member service rep has to be able to answer any possible uh, question that the member has. So I thought, you know, if we could you know, create a consistent experience for the member so that if they start something in a service center and then they finish in the member portal, uh, or the mobile app, you know, it's we're all all the channels are working together. The basic thesis around Zapari is how to help create a superior consumer experience when it comes to uh, members or providers. And then we have other tools around sales and for, and for brokers and employers and all that. But it's really about understanding the member at every touch point. And if we can do that, then uh, we believe that. We can start building trust uh, between the payer and the member, and we can start giving them advice on things that truly help them with their health. Maybe 
use gap closures and stuff like that, or advice on uh, how they could uh, lower their costs through steerage to a better doctor at a lower cost for them. Um, so that's kind of how we think about Satori. We think about as the payer interacts with the consumer and how can we improve that experience. Cool. So CX exchange and hug. Can you give? Can you tell me what CX stands for? Yeah. So the customer experience. Um, CX. Got it. Okay. Yeah. 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 So. Um, so tell me about next best action. What does that mean? That, you know, I don't yeah. know that I've heard that terminology before. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, one of the consistent messages that we were hearing from health plans, both large and small, was that different parts of the company, the payer, were very silent. So I kept hearing things like, well, if a member was in the emergency room and they came out and then the clinical team called that member and the clinical team said, hey, you know, how did your you know, experience in the hospital go? What can we do to help you? And then the member called the call center the next day. The call center would have no idea that the clinical team spoke with the member the day before. No idea that the person was even in the hospital the day before. And so we started figuring out there's a real disconnect around every piece of communication. Everything from outbound phone calls to inbound phone calls to emails to, to text to even paper. And we started, you know, really questioning why that would be and started understanding the confusion that that causes. I mean, think about it now with COVID-19 going on, you know, you don't want to send out an email that says, hey, come to this health fair on, on Saturday, right? So, but these systems are so old and so siloed that different messages are going to different members all at the same time and there's no coordination. And so we started questioning and saying, well, if you were all the division heads, and we do this in a workshop, we, in our CX workshop, we bring the head of you know sales and technology and operations and marketing, these executives together, and we said, here's a persona, Dave Johnson, 72 years old, Medicare member, and what are the goals that you want Dave to do? You want to complete a health risk assessment, maybe sign up for telemedicine, et cetera. And now let's sequence those and agree across departments what is truly the next thing you want Dave to do? So for Dave, you might want him to complete a health risk assessment. But for another member, say Katie, who lives on a farm and is 28 years old, maybe you just want her to sign up for telemedicine. So what is that next thing that you want them, the member to do across all silos of the company? And then if you created a to-do list, how could you sequence the next best actions by value to the member? So that here are the 10 next things that you, Steve, should do in order. And here are the 10 next things that I should do in order. And we shouldn't send mixed messages across channels. The CX Engagement Hub allows us to bring in goals from all different parts of the company, sequence those goals, and make sure that wherever the member touches the payer, whether it's a member portal, the mobile app, call into the member service center or call out, that we're delivering the right message at the right time on the right channel to the right cohort. So we vary the message based on clinical cohorts, demographics, geography, plan information, et cetera. And, and are, are you doing that through uh, 
a set of objectives that people can configure? Or are you intuiting that through machine learning? How is that all coming through? Oh, that's, yeah, it's a, that's, a, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So we actually don't brand ourselves as an analytics system. We do have some machine learning and uh, AI around measuring effectiveness per channel. But primarily, it's we work with the payers to say, Here's, we provide a general purpose front end, general purpose website that allows them to define cohorts. So let's say, uh, uh, define goals and cohorts. So let's say the goal is to get, uh, for a woman to get a mammogram screening in the cohort is they're over 50, uh, the female, they haven't had a screening in the last two years. You can set that up and you can set those three pieces of information uh, what was it? Age, uh, you know, age, gender, less screening. And then we can set endpoints in the, in the payer system to pull that information and using our CX engine, you create that cohort. And now all the people that are applicable to get that message gets, will will be registered to get that message. And then what we do is we bind this to the different endpoints and touch points, like the member portal, mobile app, member service center. So that when the member arrives there, the message comes up with, hey, you should get a mammogram screening or you should complete HRA or you should get a flu shotter. So all of that is configured by uh, the payer and, uh, and most of it's just math. But then as we learn how the members interacting with the channel, maybe one type of member uh, looks similar to another member, but this particular member never answers a phone call. Well, it's not very effective for an outbound call. That's where we start to use a little bit of the AI and machine learning. But primarily, it's the member, the payer setting up uh, all their goals and and registering those on the applicable, you know, touch points. And then... Uh, That's time, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the idea would be that, that, you know, if I was, uh, in this example, a woman... Mm -hmm. Uh, who's due for a mammogram screen, no matter where I connected. Now, even if I connected through the member portal, for example, which would be unsupervised, right? It would just be me and and the computer and the data. I would somehow be notified that, that I needed to do that. Is that is that the idea? That's basically the idea, but it can vary by channel. So let's just say yeah. uh, the member portal doesn't have the ability to do mammogram screening you have to call the call center the member portal might have a different message it might say hey update your member profile so we have your online phone number but it's generally that it's the the message will go directly to that member uh which is a highest value message and then we we measure that value and we start calculating the the true roi of, of cx of, of customer experience and i think that's really What's sort of differentiated Safari is that you're not using a single NPS score to see what the satisfaction of all your members are. You're actually measuring the value of did this member indeed uh, get a mammogram screening because we recommended it, or did this member indeed sign up for telemedicine, or did this member you know register for a transportation program? So depending on where those services are available and what's the highest value service, that's the message a member's going to get. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Mark, one of the things that's always impressed me and we talked about this is that you've been able to sort of take this core engine and build a lot of nice uh, applications and services around it. 
you know, like even when I go to your your website, like I could spend an hour asking you questions about the various different uh, capabilities that are on there, and I would direct people to zapari.com. They've got some pretty interesting stuff on there. Um, and it sounds like now, when we do, are are all of your customers customers adopting all of your tools? What do you have a more popular set of tools that they're using? How how is that working out? So yeah, so Steve, what you know. I guess by design, but, you know, looking back, it's, you know, a little bit of, of luck and a little bit of everything else. But we organically built a platform. So we didn't build a single product. Right from the get-go, we said, well, we need multiple products to be working together. And so we need to build all those products, and that's just the way it is. And so we ended up building this entire platform. And... Some of our customers, um, we had three last year, they, they bought our entire platform, 20 different products. The reason it's 20 is like our broker portal really is a different broker portal for individual Medicare, small group and large group. So they, they all work together, but if you're a Medicare plan, you don't need the small group. So we have 20 SKUs call it. And so some of our customers buy the entire platform. Other customers have an initiative to uh, get a comprehensive sales solution. So uh, if you go to any payer, and I, I believe it's true, you could say any payer, uh, they don't have the same direct-to-consumer shopping for individual direct-to-consumer shopping for Medicare, meaning buy individual health insurance as a, say a freelancer on the website or buy Medicare health insurance as an elderly person on the website as well as an individual broker, Medicare broker, small group broker portal, and a large group broker portal, and a sales CRM that sits on top of Salesforce or Dynamics. We bring all of those, the entire sales experience from the payer employees doing uh, outbound uh, you know, sales calls, telesales, to large group RFP processes out to each type of broker, individual Medicare, small group, and large group and then out to the consumer. We bring all of those sales touch points into one platform. And there's some companies that buy that set of products. And there's other companies that say, well, we just want to improve our member experience. So we want the member portal mobile app and member service center. And I believe we're the only company that has a productized member service center. And then that integrates with the member portal mobile app. So you get those kind of, 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 of opportunities. And then we actually have a bunch of others. You could, we also have opportunities that are aligned to the digital experience, just replacing all the portals or CRM or CX. And then we have line of business. Sometimes we're approached by a plant that's expanding into Medicare. And they say, well, gee, you have the shopping, you have the broker portal for Medicare, you have a member portal and a call center uh, for Medicare and provider search. You have everything we need from a front end for Medicare. So every deal is different. And sometimes it's just an RFP. Hey, we got budget approval this year to replace our member portal or our direct-to-consumer shopping, and we were told to call Safari. So we're checking up on that, and it's just a single product. So it really varies. Uh, and we try to be – we just want to provide the most flexible solution so that you can install one of our products, right? install all of our products, whatever the payer really needs uh, for that year. That's great. That's great. So I, I want to be uh, sensitive to our time. I'm going to ask you two more questions, sort of move away from the business, move back to being an entrepreneur. Got a lot of people that listen to the podcast that are entrepreneurs or starting companies in healthcare. 
And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I'd like to just offer you the opportunity to give a pearl, some pearls of wisdom, uh, as they sort of get their companies going. What, what did you think was your biggest challenge getting go, getting the company going? And, uh, what advice would you give an entrepreneur if you were, say, sitting down and having a beer with them talking about they're starting a company? Sure. Yeah. Well, you learn a lot, right? So, um, yeah. first thing, <laughs> never hire a C level unless you, unless you can, you're very, very confident they're going to be able to go to a multi-billion dollar company because it really stinks having to put somebody above somebody. And if they might see like a C-level at that first, when you're first starting out and you're 5, 10, 15, 20 people, but you're going to have a really awkward conversation later. That was a quick, easy one to learn. Um, <laughs> health, uh, you know, for us, you know, we are a vertical cloud company, sort of like what Viva did in the life sciences space. And so we studied Viva up and down i met some of their founders and, and stuff like that and one of the key tenets is is focusing on talent that knows the industry so uh we have you know we we never compromise and i'll maybe i'll talk about our guiding principles but one of our guiding principles is hire the best and, and never compromise and so every single employee outside of software engineers has five plus years of health insurance every sales and marketing person but every client delivery project manager and analyst, but every single product person, of course. And, uh, you know, really just lucky to have uh, the, the leaders that we have with that kind of experience and then their teams. And, and uh, so one thing, is, and I could speak about that because that's really important, the management team, but, you know, making sure that the person that you're bringing in, that you're never compromising because, um, it's a waste of everybody's time, but it also can be a really negative experience, right? You hire somebody because they're smart and they're a great culture fit, but if they can't do the job, you're, you're, you're going to, it's not going to be good. So I just know that when I was in the corporate world, I, you know, I was handed over these people and like some of them were rehabilitation programs. You can get some of them to be superstars and some of you just question, why did somebody ever hire this person? They're nice and they're, and, and, they're, and, and they're smart, but they don't know how to do it. So we, to give you an idea now, we just have such a sourcing machine. We had, you know, 1,300 applicants last month. We hired 11. We had over 9,000 last year. We hired 90. And so one of the biggest things is just never compromise on talent because letting people go is such a terrible negative experience and can rock your company. So... We've never had layoffs. We've never pivoted from a direction. And it's very rare that we let people go. But that's all by putting the emphasis on really rigorous hiring practices. And I think that's the younger you are in the startup, the even less, you know, uh, option there is to hire somebody that's not going to be, you know, a brilliant fit. So I always kind of come back to talent, but that's, you know, we do a lot of yeah. talent and culture and, well, I, it's funny, you know, when I first started running a company, I mean, the first thing I realized that it didn't take that long is like the, the job really is getting to people, pe getting people to do, to do things. Like, it's like really, it's like almost like coaching a football team. It's like, it's building a culture and, you know, relying on people to understand what their roles are. And then just having the people that, you know, are going to be able to get things done in the way you want them done. And that is the biggest challenge I think about running a company. I do too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more, Steve. I, I, it's, it's all, I like to say, you know, we got some brilliant people. I mean, Peter LaCursey, I've known for 25 years. We worked at Next and Apple. I mean, there's no better, you know, sales revenue guy. Uh, Barry Belfer was a treasurer of Guardian, uh, you know, uh, part of their turnaround early, early 2000s. Like, there's no better finance guy that can go from, you know, Opening the mail to the boardroom. I mean, his scalability is amazing. Ken and Mark Poling, our chief product officer, founder of two of our competitors, Connection and Equilibrium. It all starts with that talent, that that talent at the top and that management team. And then I like to think I just I, I really focus on that talent, Stephen. Just looking for how do we drive you know productivity and, 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 and efficiency. It's not through long hours. That's not the goal. The whole idea is how do you get everybody sort of going in one direction. And I like to say when people come to this, a startup, they say, they think, well, now I can do whatever I want. Well, it's the exact opposite. It's you have to be more lean and more precise and more like a laser to all go in the same direction. So we have to all do things in the same direction. But I will say this as a new employee to a, a, a smaller company, your impact on what you do and your impact on, on your deliverables are much broader than you're going to have at a large company. So it's really yeah. just about, you know, motivating the, the folks and, and, and keeping them going and driving transparency. We do a town hall every Friday without fail. Uh, Wednesdays, everybody gets an email saying nominate a peer for one of our guiding principles that are posted through our office. And we do shout outs to those folks, their photos and quotes every Friday. We do a demo by somebody uh, on our team, product engineering or day in the life of marketing analytics, whatever it may be. So you get to meet all the people, see what people do. And uh, we just really focus on talent. We have a culture committee that helps build that up. Six people that have been on our culture committee for many, many years now and giving a very diverse sort of approach to sort of uh, providing our employees with uh, the support and culture they need. And so, you know, I go to work because it's, I love working with these people. Uh, it's fun technology to build, but um, you know, I, I agree, Steve. The only you got to just get everybody going in the same direction, and the best way to do that is to be transparent and open about what you're trying to achieve. Terrific. Well, listen, uh, Mark, I really appreciate the time. As always, uh, it's fun to talk to you, and uh, I want to just get. I'm looking at at your website here while. Uh, so a lot of information there. What else are you doing? You doing any tweeting these days or you got LinkedIn? Where can people find out more about the company uh, online and, and other resources? Yeah, just, you know, uh, our website, you know, I'm, I'm always on LinkedIn. Feel free to hit me up there. You know, I always take any intro calls. I, I, I always learn from from folks and uh uh yeah so i'm easy to get a hold of the company's easy to get a hold of you know we're here to help you know payers provide a better brand and trust and consumer experience with their and uh, their members and uh whatever we can do to help uh uh we're always there and, and steve it's great speaking with you i know uh you know we catch up a couple times a year and, and it's always exciting conversations and so it's fun to do this one uh, and, and a bit more yep. open. All right. Thanks a lot, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Okay. Take care.